the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. So I need to come to to the defense of a friend of mine. Kathy Barnett is running for... uh, U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania. And about three weeks ago, I was up in Pennsylvania and I spent uh, the evening at an event with her. And I want to tell you about that. And I want to tell you about how wrong uh, everybody is and what's happening. So we'll get to that in a moment. We've got some great guests again today. Austin Roos will be with us. I mentioned that yesterday. He'll talk about what's going on at the Supreme Court, excuse me, at the U.N. uh, and uh, also the Supreme Court. And Natalie Winters, who wrote a great piece on Amazon, what Amazon did. They're going to pay for abortions and reimburse you. And, and pay their employees uh, crazy. But uh, what I'll ask her is what I've said to you all is while we're debating uh, Twitter and there's some um, reporting that the Twitter bid is on hold, while you're debating Twitter, the rest of the world is dominated by Amazon and dominated by Google search um, and uh, so-called alphabet. So We'll see. We'll talk about that in a moment. Well, it's great interviews. But first, what you need to know, Kathy Barnett. So Kathy Barnett is an African-American woman who ran for Congress two years ago, and she came up short. Now, she ran in a tough district. She was the nominee for the for the Republicans. And after her race was over, there was a lot of allegations uh, by her supporters that something was off because she was running in one of the districts that overlapped with where Donald Trump uh, found himself out um, outnumbered by Joe Biden. And it looked suspicious. And actually, I can tell you, uh, Kathy Barnett had a number of her people, her supporters say, don't give up. Don't give up. They they did something squirrely here. Don't give up. And they wanted her uh, to uh, go ahead and contest things and stay fighting. She did for a little while. And then she decided it was enough was enough. And she let it go, which is a tough balancing act. I just want to drop a footnote here. Years ago, when I ran for Congress in 2010, and I lost in a very close race and the race, in fact, I was ahead until 11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night, and it flipped the other way. And I lost. I didn't concede for about three or four days. But finally, you get to the point where you don't really have a path to change the outcome. And you just have to decide what to do. So it's a lot of pressure, by the way, a lot of pressure under sort of the of the conventional wisdom to uh, to concede. Anyway, Kathy, Barnett had a good run, uh, was well liked, and succeeded. You know, not not perfectly. It was she didn't raise as much money as some people would have liked or whatever. But it was impressive. It was an impressive run and a real run. Well, uh, uh, about a year and a half, well, a year and a few months ago, she decided she'd announced to run for U.S. Senate to take the place of Senator Toomey, who's retiring. Now, I was one of those at the time who thought. Well, wait a second. You might be better served to take another shot at Congress, a a statewide race in Pennsylvania. Can you raise the money? Can you do it? Well, here we are a few days before the primary in Pennsylvania. And Kathy Barnett has, in fact, struggled to raise money. She's raised only, I don't know, half a million dollars. The other candidates... Dr. Oz, a guy named David McCormick, who are both independently wealthy, they've raised and spent their own money to the tune of millions of dollars. 
Okay, so there you are. Now, Dr. Oz has been backed by um, by uh, uh, Hannity, Sean Hannity, uh, David McCormick, who had some sort of connection to the Trump administration. Uh, his, his wife was a senior official. I'm not sure if he also worked there, uh, but he's gotten some support from Trump type people. Uh, Donald Trump himself has endorsed Dr. Oz. And here we are. So. What's happened, though, in the last week and a half or so is Kathy Barnett has surged. She's surged forward because she's an African-American whose story is so compelling. She served in the Army Reserves. She's a self-made lady. She wrote books. I don't know, maybe books. She's written a book on uh, on her faith. She's out, oh, very clear about her faith, and she tells the extraordinary story of her life where her mother chose not to abort her after the horrific uh, origins of her pregnancy. And so Kathy Barnett, an African-American woman running as a Republican on a lot of conservative issues and sounding and being very Trumpy, suddenly she surged in the polls. And here's what you need to know. The last thing that the establishment wants is people they can't control. And even Dr. Oz, Dr. Oz is beholden to Trump in a certain sense, but also the system. He's got all the right consultants and all. McCormick's got all the right consultants. Kathy Barnett has herself and a few of her friends and a few people she trusts. She's not controllable. Now, Donald Trump wasn't controllable too, and a bunch of people like that. And I have to tell you, more and more, I believe this election cycle, this 2022, is a drain-the-swamp cycle. And Kathy Barnett has been endorsed by Stan Casasio, a, a great Pennsylvania leader, Phyllis the Eagles leader. She's been endorsed by uh, uh, General Mike Flynn. I mean, as nobody strong as Mike Flynn except for Donald Trump, I'd say. And so she has the right backing, and she has the right attitude, and she is the right kind of person. She's a legitimately good person. And a few weeks ago when we were up in uh, in um, uh, Philadelphia at an event, she spoke and she gets a great response. People are drawn to her, drawn to her story, drawn to her uh, honesty. It's refreshing. And she's surging. So now they're slurring her. I mean, I'm not joking. They're actually slurring her. I forget one of the slurs now. There's one slur about her. They're trying to say that she didn't serve enough time in the military or something uh, that is supposed to be so negative on her. They're they're actually going out of their way to say that she wasn't for Trump in 2016 sufficient, that that should be a problem. Meanwhile, she campaigned for him uh, all over 2020 and was one of the real people who I would say was really good about saying, hey, uh, this is why I'm for Trump. I'm an African-American woman. You should be, too. Um, when I was up in Philadelphia a few weeks ago and I saw her, she was meeting with some folks on the side uh, of the a big event, uh, and it was African-American uh, religious leaders. And she was meeting with them on the side, not at the prominent part of the meeting. Uh, the, the dinner we were at was a nonprofit dinner that was honoring folks that were, f- folks that were fighting for uh, more uh, openness and elections and things. And so, but there she was. And she and she was meeting with folks and she was saying to that group, not for public consumption, not out in the public. She was saying, hey, look, here's what I'm telling you. I'm going to be able to reach out to people that nobody else has reached out to. Nobody else has uh, paid attention to. And she's getting attacked. She's getting attacked. The um, uh, the, uh, uh, the the uh, club for growth 
endorsed her and has uh, said they're spending a bunch of uh, money to help her. Um, there's a Catholic group, Catholic Vote, endorsed her uh, that's helping. And now she's being attacked. She's being attacked for uh, all kinds of things. They, they call her this one that is crazy. They call her a BLM radical, Black Lives Matter radical. Now, that's a slur, right? Because it just so happens she's an African-American. And they call her BLM radical. There's nothing about her record that says she's Black Lives Matter. I mean, it's just crazy. It's a crazy thing. And she's even being attacked. Uh, you know, the um, the uh, uh, David McCormick was on uh, Bannon's uh, show and he attacked her. Says So it's the point here is if you're being attacked by all the right people, being attacked by the establishment, you must be onto something. And, and again, here's what the trick they do, what you need to know. One of the tricks they do now is they say, oh, oh, you can't win. This person, if they were able to win the primary, couldn't win the general, unelectable in the general. It's nonsense. Are you telling me Dr. Oz, Mehmet Oz, who's a half Turkish, uh, maintains his Turkish citizenship, do you think he's not going to have some problems? Do you think he's not going to have to answer questions for standing with Jesse uh, Smollett and, and doing a TV show where he basically gave Smollett a way to talk about how Smollett was a, a victim of a MAGA hate crime, which was a total fraud? I mean, I, I, I know what they mean when they say uh, Kathy Barnett might not win the general. But what they're really saying is they don't like a black woman because she went through the ringer in 2020. She's been tested. She's been um, vetted. I'm not sure that the guy McCormick, who runs ran Black, uh, was it Blackwater, one of the big hedge funds, uh, one of the big venture capital funds, has been tested. I'm not sure. I don't know the guy. I mean, he looks to me like a globalist kind of guy, but I don't know. I really don't know. To, I don't know to attack him, but I don't think they know to attack her. But uh, it's going to be exciting down the stretch, and I will say, I think she's got a great chance to win. And I think, amazingly, the attacks on her are only going to help her. I think the attacks on her are going to make people take a look at her and say, oh, yeah, wow, pro-life, African-American woman, thinks people should pull them up by their bootstraps, believes in the Lord. I think they're going to be people are actually going to be interested to have their attention riveted by the uh, by the attacks on Kathy Burnett. That's where that's going. So that's what you need to know. All right. We're going to take a break. Don't forget. Be uh, be reminded. ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Uh, go there and visit. Lots of these segments, are, all the segments are posted over there. And you can also sign up for the daily email, the wink that goes out each day at 8 a.m. East Coast, each weekday, 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, we will take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It is time. I, it's happening more and more. I was just having this conversation. Uh, I'm sure Natalie Winters will be uh, pleased to know this, but even more probably Raheem Kassam. The National Pulse, it's it's just everywhere. At the Nat Pulse RSS is their RSS feed, which is what gets stuff fed into me, which is really convenient. And uh, it is really, really helpful. Lots of great writing over there. And Natalie Winters is one of their uh, investigative reporters. In fact, I was looking at her Twitter feed. And I got drawn into Natalie reading, uh, watching you on uh, the Epic Times had a video uh, uh, conversation with you, which is fascinating. And uh, I almost want to go talk about that. But on Twitter, it's at Natalie G. Winters. And Natalie IE is Natalie at the end. G. Winters on Twitter. I'll put it up on social media. Welcome, Natalie, to the program. How are you? 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing well. Well, thanks for taking the time. And I, I did have a specific uh, thing I wanted to talk to you about um, because I want to show people uh, what you investigated. And I should say again, she's Natalie Winters is the National Pulse's invest- investigative reporter over there. You wrote a piece on Amazon subsidizing employees' abortions. And these stories go by us so fast. You hear the cancel culture stories a lot. Not not a total, not not all of them, but but you don't hear this other version, which is subsidized preferences. And uh, so, walk us through this story and what it it means, what's going on, and some of the details, please. Sure, I think this story it certainly took me some time to internalize because I really think it shows you how far left. It's not even pro-choice; it's it's pro-abortion. Um, the left and their kind of corporate counterparts, uh, epitomized by Amazon, have become so. Um, the Monday before we got that Supreme Court leak where we saw the document that said that the court is likely to overturn Roe v. Wade and the left collectively lost its mind, um, Amazon announced that they would be subsidizing up to $4,000 worth of travel expenses for their employees who had to go out of state to get abortions. So the narrative goes... According to Amazon, um, people, whether they work for you know Amazon in a corporate sense or even in a warehouse, um, even a delivery driver, someone like that, um, if they want to get an abortion, but they live in a you know scary red Republican state uh, <laughs> that that protects the sanctity of life um, and, and babies' lives, um, and they have to go out of state uh, to get an abortion, they will pay for that. So it's very interesting to kind of. contrast that mindset um, and really putting their money where their mouth is um, when there's no incentive financially or otherwise uh, for employees to keep their babies uh, to, to, you know, see through a pregnancy. Um, So basically to, to get into just the the nitty gritty details, because I think as you were it's it's easy to just look past these stories, but you know, there's so much thought and especially these huge companies like Amazon compliance and regulation that goes behind these decisions that it has to work its way all the way up the, you know, the food chain of the higher ups um, and the output of the policy was that if people would have to travel further than 100 miles and virtual care wasn't sufficient, which for an abortion, it, it would not be right. um, that Amazon would pay um, for, for employees, not even just for the procedures, but for their travel expenses. Um, it was sort of leaked by, by Reuters first. Uh-huh. Um, but also also what's what's interesting, too, I think, is the timing of this right coming. Yeah. In the Supreme Court leak um, right. of the document. And so that's kind of the, the policy uh, in its summary. And believe it or not, uh, because Amazon is is so far left and just committed to making sure that their employees can can get abortions, I guess, you know, pro bono for free. They're actually making the policy retroactive. So it applies for anyone who since January 1st of this year has had to travel for an abortion. They will be eligible Turning your, um, turning your receipts, I guess. And, yeah, and, and so claim, I hope uh, they get their receipts, yeah. Uh, uh, if you, again, you're, you're uh, we're talking with Natalie Winters, and, and um, uh, she's over at the nationalpulse.com. I'll put up on uh, social media this story. But it, when you wh- wear your sort of um, intuitive reporter hat, if this is happening at Amazon and they're sort of not afraid to make their policy known, um, you know, they announced it company-wide, that's a lot of people, and Reuters had it pretty quickly. Is it likely that other companies are doing this and not bragging about it? Is your instinct that smaller company? I mean, I guess 
Does Amazon think it's to their advantage uh, in terms of keeping employees? I mean, what's, how, do you, how do you read into this? Sure. So it's interesting you bring that up. Some other companies, including, I believe it was Yelp, uh, Uber and Lyft, and Citigroup, um, had actually adopted and implemented similar policies. So Amazon is kind of the norm and not the exception huh. um, to other companies adopting this. But I think it gets to something kind of a bigger issue. And, you know, I'm, it, when we're talking about Amazon, I'm inclined to think of Amazon Web Services and yeah. how they shut down access to Parler. Right. Um, I think it's just this, it's unfortunate, but it's just a, a politicization of really, I think, every aspect of this country. And I think that we've probably seen it especially exacerbated amidst the 2020 election and the fraud that happened and how certain companies, you know, were just deplatforming and banning anyone who kind of dared to speak about those issues. But I think this is another example where you really see these big corporations kind of showing showing where their values, where they are, where their ideology lies. Um, and nine times out of 10, frankly, 99 times out of 100, uh, maybe even 100 times out of 100, um, it's always with the far left. So I think it's in these instances um, that we need to let these companies, you know, show show us who they are. And obviously, we know Amazon collaborates with the Chinese Communist Party. They've sold out in many regards to them, too. Um, but I think, you know, we have to listen to them when they speak, um, because decisions like this, like I said, it's not even pro-choice, certainly right. not pro-woman. It's, it's pro-abortion um, and anti-life. Uh, again, we're talking with Natalie Winters. Natalie, when I go to the nationalpost.com, I was looking at, at your piece and then I was clicking through a few days ago. You wrote about um, uh, Elon Musk's the Twitter purchase. There's ties with some of the Communist Party invested companies. There's, that's, a, that's a redundancy, right? If it's a company in, in China, it's, all, it's, it's influenced by it's either owned or influenced by their, the Communist Party. And then you, you wrote, a, you wrote a, a week or two, 10 days ago about the, the disinformation board director, this, this insane, seemingly really almost insane woman, Nina Jankowitz. But but so more broadly, I, I have said a fight over Twitter is important because Twitter does skew a lot of uh, powerful people's view of the world. But it's actually Amazon and and maybe Google that are really where I think the control is. And, and, you know, when you looked at all these different things, it's not that it's not that it's not important to fight over Twitter, but it's kind of like fighting over the shiny object. When meanwhile, over here between uh, AWS and Amazon and Google search, the dominant influencers are, I mean, that's dominant over there, isn't it? You are totally correct. And I think what we've understood or what we sort of begin to understand from, like I said, the fallout of the 2020 election um, is really how in lockstep all of these entities work together, um, you know, ideologically too. But I also think there's there's sort of a broader agenda um, when you see all these corporations kind of towing a similar line, whether it's social issues, whether it's choosing who they don't want um, on their platforms. But you're totally right. There's there's bigger entities at play here: Amazon, Google, right? The the servers, these uh, hosting platforms, um, are kind of a step above above Twitter. But my take on, on Elon Musk is, you know, obviously Twitter needs to be in the hands of, of someone other than Parag Agarwal and Jack Dorsey and the current board members and the far left, you know, censorers that, that we see running the show over there. Um, but I think we just need to proceed with caution um, because not only does Elon Musk have a track record of doing business and frankly praising the Chinese Communist Party, but some of the equity investors helping to finance his purchase of this platform um, also have ties and rather explicit ones. People should read the article um, to the Chinese Communist Party. There's also some Qatari state-backed funds and Saudi princes funding this. And again, 
obviously it's a huge purchase. You know, we unfortunately live in a globalized world, so you're going to have money coming in from other countries. Um, but I just think it's a little hypocritical uh, when your primary value is free speech and yet you're including backing um, from foreign countries and partners who not only lack, you know, a little bit of free speech, but lack any semblance of free speech and kind of, I guess, act in a similar way to the Biden regime when it comes to wanting to censor their critics like Nina Jankowitz. Um, but yeah, so it's just important. To, I think all these stories kind of interweave uh, together and it's always been about control and, and silencing people uh, that you disagree with. Well, and as I, I agree with you again, we're, we're talking with uh, Natalie Winters from over at the National Post, thenationalpost.com. I'll put up on social media, but um, it's like Tesla and, and Musk. For, uh, for a while, my mother-in-law is from California, used to say, Tesla doesn't make any money. All they do is take tax credits and play the game with this system of electric cars and all. And I don't know, I don't know my mother-in-law is not an expert on it either, but my point is, be careful what you hope for. I mean, I'm not sure that he's a real conservative, for example, I, but but when you can challenge a system, when you can shock a system like he's done, especially and expose people um, as he did in their response to him, that's positive. Well, I agree with you. Proceed with caution. Um, Natalie, one uh, more line on this. Uh, you wrote a piece about uh, the this woman that uh, Nina Jankowitz. What's your reporting say about whether they actually will keep this going? Did the, did, you know, in, in government, they float something and they announce something. If it doesn't work, a lot of times they neuter it or it disappears. Any neutering or disappearing or is she going full bore? Well, I've seen no, no rumblings, no indication <laughs> of that happening. Um, I mean, she's effectively the, the PR agent, the taxpayer subsidized PR agent for the Biden family and Biden regime. And I think as uh, things intensify, they're only going to be relying on her more. I don't see any chance that that uh, that board will will go away. And I think the tell there is that they established it at the Department of Homeland Security. And remember, it was the DHS that was that was going after parents who opposed critical mm, race skeptical right. of COVID vaccines and right. COVID-19's origins. Um, so I really think this disinformation board is not is not a random phenomenon. It is the kind of continuation, the institutionalization. I would say. Um, of trying to silence, frankly, conservatives, but really anyone who goes against the, the regime's narratives um, on these social media platforms. So you got to contextualize it in the broader kind of weaponization of the Department of Homeland Security by Joe Biden. So I don't think uh, she'll be going anywhere. She'll probably be getting a pay raise next year. <laughs> yeah. All right. At Natalie G. Winters, I'll put it up on social media. Natalie Winters, investigative reporter over at the National uh, com. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you for having me. Okay, we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. I'll put this all up on social media. Check it out there and uh, over at the ProAmericaReport.com. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, great to have my friend Austin Roos, who is the president uh, of CFAM. We always call it the Center for Family and Human Rights, c-fam.org, Center for Family and Human Rights. Uh, long time, uh, Austin's been a long time uh, participant in the battle to uh, bring sunshine to a lot of things that are going on, especially around conservatism and pro-life issues and family and human rights, especially up at the UN. So welcome back, uh, Austin. How are you? I am very fine, Ed. Are, are, are we sitting a mere 
a mile and a half from each other right now? <laughs> I think we're I'm in D.C. right now, so we're only a few oh, miles. You are? That's right. We could have we driven to see each other. We live, we live, Austin, Roos, and I live a few miles, probably five miles from each other, and uh, have lots of overlapping uh, family, uh, kids in school and things. So that's funny. Uh, no. Uh, but so, Austin, I, 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 I grabbed, you grabbed my attention on this um, when the conversation came up. Mitch McConnell actually said out loud what a lot of us you know, want the conversation to move towards, which he said, McConnell said, a national abortion ban is, quote, possible. Uh, you know, it's not as Justice Scalia, the late Justice Scalia used to say, reverse Roe v. Wade, Dovey Bolton, and you're, you're back to the states. There's not he did. He never thought you're going to find a, a, at least right away a right in the Constitution for life that a banned abortion. But I think a lot of us uh, opposite what happened in the in the House and Senate this week in terms of them attempting to pass the codification of Roe v. Wade thought, hey, why aren't we having a conversation? So, first of all, Austin, you've watched this uh, debate. You participated in teaching and educating and advocating on life. Uh, what moment are we at right now? What is this? Well, first of all, um, I, I actually got into a lengthy debate in the comment boxes of the Times of London on this McConnell quote. And, uh, you know, if you go and you look at the quote that actually appeared in USA Today, it's a butchered quote. They do not have a clean quote for him saying that a, a federal ban on abortion is is possible. Uh, it's, it's one of these things where they where they've they're talking about one thing and then and then they drop in a quote where he says, and it's possible. So oh. I, I don't believe that he actually said because he's a pretty smart politician. Right. And I would say at this point in 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 the world, uh, a federal ban, that is to say a constitutional amendment or some sort of act of Congress is is a near impossibility. Having said that, Whoever thought in our long lives that Roe v. Wade was going to be overturned right now? Right. I mean, I mean, the, the, the Alito draft was a shock. I, I was actually managing my expectations yeah, about yeah. the possibility of Roe being overturned, you know, because we've been disappointed before. And my real fear was that uh, it was not going to be overturned and then it would take the life out of the new pro-life generation, you know, because they would think, oh, geez, we've worked so hard for so long and it's not going to happen and let's go do something else. So uh, so as to the question is, why aren't we talking about it? Well, I'll tell you, you know, there is going to be a 50 state battle to overturn abortion in this country. You know, there's going to yeah. there's even going to be a battle in California. It's it's where we're at right now is, uh, you know, one big. Well. I'm sorry to go on and on like this, yeah, yeah, but, no, okay. you know, I've, I've, my column at Crisis Magazine tomorrow uh, is a tip of the hat to the political and legal arms of the pro-life movement who have been taking it in the chops for years and years for not making any real progress. You know, it, it's like one of the complaints against us is, oh, the pro-life movement is too political, too connected to the GOP, you know, and, and, and when we've been chumps and fools and the GOP is not really pro-life and yada, yada, yada. But a tip of the hat to the political and legal pro-life movement, that is the teaching of originalism to law students who become justices, judges who become justices, hats off to those arms of the pro-life movement that have been criticized so much for so long. 
Uh, we're talking with Austin Roos. And uh, again, Austin Roos is the president over at uh, the Center for Family and Human Rights, c-fam.org. Um, Austin, it's funny you say that. I had, a, I'm sure you're close friends with him or collaborators over the years. Clark Forsyth of Americans United for Life was on my po- a podcast I was doing. And he said, it's some, it really is worthy of, of contemplating the sort of miracle of keeping the law unsettled enough that we could get here. You know, to your yeah. point about these kind of, you know, people were sort of arguing about the number of angels on the head of a pen in terms of viability, three weeks, six weeks, what, and yet it sort of kept the possibility alive. And here we are. Uh, I want to pause, though, Austin, and ask you, um, what do you think the international impact is? And and the reason the context of this is, um, as you mentioned, you were doing this in the comments of the Times of London. We had on the program one of your colleagues, uh, the VP over there, uh, uh, Stefano uh, Gennarini, talking about yeah. how the U.N., really just follows America. And when Trump got knocked out after four years, he really hadn't had long enough to turn the ship around. And now the money and everything else is flowing. Does it, does a shift like this, the Roe v. Wade shift, does it, does it, does it give you some uh, encouragement that in the world community, you're going to see a shift? Well, first of all, I, 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 you, something you said a second ago, I want to comment okay. on about how many angels can pirouette <laughs> on the head of a on the head of a pin. Do you do you know the answer to that? No, I don't. Tell me. I do. Okay. Uh, the, the the schoolmen, the scholastics, came up with an answer to that, and it, the answer is all of them. <laughs> okay, oh, very good. <laughs> oh, that's good. I'm glad to have that. They, uh, those guys <laughs> had an answer for everything. So uh, okay, that's great. <laughs> with a great priest named John Perricone told me that 25 years ago. Anyway, uh, will this have an effect on the U.N. debate? Here's the thing about the U.N. The U.N. is more pro-life than uh, a lot of places in the United States. The the, the sexual left has tried to get a global right to abortion through U.N. documents now for more than 25 years. And they're no closer today than they were 25 years ago, because there's always enough countries to stand up and say, you know, we may have liberal abortion laws in our country, but we don't think that the United Nations ought to be imposing it on the world. So so the, the U.N. Ha- has actually been a better place uh, than, all, you know, than a lot of places in the United States and, and even the world. And indeed, the world does look to the United States for leadership on this. And for a good long while, since 1973... The United States has had among the, the most radical abortion laws in the whole world, you know, right up there with China, North Korea and Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that's going to change. And I don't know what's going to happen on the ground around the world. A lot of countries have changed their laws on abortion over the last 20 years. Uh, it's, it's been imposed uh, judicially in a, in a number of countries like Mexico, Colombia, Brazil. Um, we'll see what happens on the ground around the world. I think that this will be a shot in the arm to pro-life movements all over the world. That's what I think. You know, Uh in a lot of places where it's been decided legislatively, like Europe, there's not a real pro-life movement that gets any traction. So who knows? Maybe, Maybe now there will be. Uh, we're talking again, Austin Roos, uh, his uh, team and his work is over at c-fam.org, the Center for Family and Human Rights. Uh, he mentioned he writes in Crisis Magazine on a number of different places. Um, Austin, um, how, how do you, again, close observer of things like politics, the courts, and even and maybe more significantly because of the decades you've done this, the media and information um, distribution, it said all that. What did you how do you react to that leak? I mean, the leak of the Supreme Court of the of the row of the, you know, the Dobbs decision, you must have even you must have sh- shook your head and said, wow, on that one. Well, you know, it's funny, a friend of mine, uh, Michelle Gress, who uh, 
has worked over the years at the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, a really, really good woman. Uh, she said, you know what they did? They took our moment away from us. You know, that moment when it would have, you know, maybe been leaked two hours in advance to the New York Times and it would spread all over the country that Roe v. Wade has been overturned. They took that away from us by this leak. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like that that singular celebrated moment of celebration. Um, and, you know, on, on the other hand, you know, maybe this was God's hand because it would be unseemly for us to celebrate the way that we would have celebrated had it happened that day. <laughs> right. So, you know, it was it was, uh, I, you know, m- m- my hope is, along with yours and everybody else's is that not much will change in the decision yeah. uh, from what we what what Alito wrote to his colleagues and what eventually comes out. I, I have to think that the human reaction to this among the justices of the Supreme Court is to dig in. And, and just say to hell with you guys who think you're going to pressure us into changing what we think is right with regard to the Roe v. Wade and the Constitution. But, you know, we still don't know. We yeah. still don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, again, uh, Austin Roos, the president of uh, the, the Center for Family and Human Rights, c-fam.org on, on uh, social media, on, uh, on the Internet. Um, Austin, do you, um, as you sit here and you watch w- w- what's coming um, and, you, you, you know, you see, again, well, let me pause. If you could, if over the years, one thing you probably would have said to someone is before you say, oh, wow, it's the United Nations, look closely at the institution and see what quality and caliber and, and you know, kind of um, trustworthiness that institution could have. I think that would be fair. We, you know, somehow it jumped, popped out of the head of Eleanor Roosevelt and we're all supposed to salute because they all, all the tricks of making you think it's authoritative. Similarly, the U.S. Supreme Court for the last 30 or 40 or 50 years has become this arbiter of the hard decisions and therefore the great, you know, incredibly institutionally important thing until it got conservative. And now they're tearing it down. And my question for you is, can't they succeed at, at politicizing the Supreme Court. You and I would have said, of course, it's human. Of course, it's got all these political considerations. And yet we have a system that works. It looks to me like the left is ready to take it down, burn it down figuratively, uh, along with other institutions that they're happy to damage, make a church, church uh, you know, a number of the other ones around. What's your thoughts? Well, oh, that, that's, that's a really good question. You know, five or six years ago, Matt Frank, connected to the James Madison Institute yeah, of Princeton, yep, yep. Wrote, a, wrote a very important essay about how to throttle the Supreme Court. Huh. So I'm actually sympathetic to the fact that the Supreme Court is involved in a lot of things they ought not to be involved in. Right. I think correcting this mistake is something that they absolutely ought to do. But, but uh, you know, there was a time when the Supreme Court was not involved in every aspect of our lives. <laughs> yeah. You know, 25 years ago, I was, at a, I was at a prayer breakfast in New York, and the speaker was Justice Scalia, and he was sitting with us, uh, sitting next to me, and, and somebody delivered a petition to him on some case. Who knows what it was? Right. And he looked at me and he said, there was a time when folks wouldn't even have known our names, and that was a better world. You know, it, it, it's, it's yeah. like, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be the place it shouldn't be the object of our political passions, but it has been, and it's their own dang fault because yeah. they're involved in everything. Yeah, it's true. All right, Austin Roos, thank you for taking the time. We're out of time. It's Austin Roos. He's the president, again, of the Center for Family and Human Rights, c-fam.org, c-fam.org. You can check it out there. I'll put it up on social media. Thank you, Austin, for all you do and for coming on the show. 
See you soon, brother. Thank All you. All right. Thanks. Okay. We'll take a break, everybody. And uh, don't forget, go to proamericareport.com. I'll put this interview up over there and you can sign up for the daily email and we'll be back in a moment. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Good news arrived in the District Court of the District of Columbia when it enjoined a new D.C. law that authorizes school administrators to inject the COVID vaccine and other vaccines into school children as young as 11 years old without parental consent or even knowledge. In the case termed Booth v. Bowser, a Trump-appointed judge, Trevor McFadden, sided with parents. The District of Columbia insisted in court that there's no constitutional right to any religious exemption from mandatory vaccination. In blocking the school vaccine mandate in D.C., the judge properly held that vaccine tyranny will not be allowed to trample on the Constitution. Officials pushing these vaccine mandates should be defeated in their elections also. Only about 65% of Americans opted to receive the COVID vaccine, and many of these were forced to do so. Fewer than 50% of those received the recommended booster shot. Most Americans have rejected the demands of Dr. Anthony Fauci and so-called public health experts about COVID vaccination and masks, as have many foreign nations. Yet vaccine mandates started at the adult level and trickled down to children as more and more Americans became acclimated to the idea of giving up their right to make their own medical decisions and the medical decisions of their children. The trickle-down effect from adults to children can also be seen as LGBT radicals try to push life-altering surgeries on young children, often without parental knowledge or consent. A decade ago, these radicals tried to convince us that we would accept the lifestyle choices of adults who mutilate their own bodies due to their mental illness called gender dysphoria. As society shifts to the left, they now feel emboldened to mutilate children who are incapable of providing informed consent. Often these children aren't even suffering from mental illness, but are just going through the many phases that accompany the transition from childhood to adulthood. The lesson to conservatives is clear. Don't wait until bad policies trickle down to our children before opposing them. Vaccine mandates for anyone are wrong, and gender dysphoria should be treated, not enabled. Thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. You'll be glad to know the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly continues. Upheld by Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Chairman Helen Marie Taylor, Treasurer John Schlafly, a full staff in St. Louis in our nation's capital, and thousands of citizen volunteers, her eagles, across the country. You can be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let's wrap things up by doing what I haven't done in a few months. Uh, Let's do a segment in praise of Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul. He just always does stuff. That's with principle. He, he his principles are just they're just awesome. I don't always agree with him because he's a libertarian in some ways on some issues, but not many really. He's very pro life. It's wonderful. He's a great pro life leader. But in this case, uh, in the last um, I don't know thirty six hours, he's had two stands uh, that he took that are just principled. It's fantastic. And the first one was that there was a they were tra- getting ready to pass a law 
that would protect the judges of this country, federal judges, from having their information published in such a way that people could get it and then target them, which sounds pretty apropos at this moment since, you know, uh, far left groups have been targeting uh, Supreme Court justices. It's actually been in the hopper for a few, a year and a half or so. Senator Menendez of New Jersey has put it in because uh, a judge had her husband, I believe, killed when the, someone showed up and shot the husband who answered the door. So I like this. And as Rand Paul said, he likes it, too. He just said we ought to include legislators. Now, he has a right to say that since he was ta- attacked by his neighbor. And the Senate was unwilling to adjust the legislation to include keeping confidential the information about uh, members of Congress. I just like that. I think he's principled. I think it's, it's awesome. Second one is even more important and even more impressive. Uh, as the rush to go ahead and to uh, give $40 billion, $40 billion with a B, to Ukraine to keep fighting in the war, uh, we had a, everybody signed on to it except in the House. There were 57 House members that voted against it, all the Republicans only. In fact, I saw one of them, uh, Congressman Norman, uh, the, uh, on Friday morning, I think it was, and he said, thank you for standing up and telling people. It's just ridiculous that so many people voted for this blank check, $40 billion with a B dollars. So what Rand Paul did in the Senate as they were rushing through to force this through with no vote, excuse me, no uh, a unanimous consent, which means there's no formal vote. Everybody just says, OK, uh, or they pr- proceed to the vote on, on unanimous consent, I guess. He said, no, wait a second. I, if you're going to do this, I want you to put a provision in this 40 billion dollar giveaway that has a watchdog, a watchdog who is targeted with reporting back on how the money's spent now. Doesn't that sound like a good idea? What does that cost? Maybe a hundred grand, maybe two. Let's say it costs two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to hire a watchdog who can check on the forty billion dollars that's going out. Two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Let's say that's for the salary of the watchdog, for his or her secretary, for the computers, whatever. Isn't that a good investment? So that's what Rand says: is we ought to have a, a check on how the money's spent, and they the, the Senate refused. So he said, well, I'm not doing unanimous consent. And this, this greases, greases skidded, greases skid, boy, <laughs> skids greased effort to give $40 billion away stalled. Now, it'll still go through next week, but it'll take another week of, uh, of, of the procedural maneuvers they have to do. Good for Rand Paul. Rand Paul's just got principles. He just has principles. That's all. It's so foreign to people. It's not, it's just, it's, it's great. It's great. I love the guy. I love what he does, how he stands up for what he believes in, who he is. He's just spectacular. A, a national treasure. I've called him before. I think it's uh, a good time to call him that again. Senator Rand Paul, thank you for your service. Also, thank you to uh, the great Noah Dingley, our producer, and Joanna Spilger, our executive producer. And thank you for listening. Uh, visit ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the daily email there. And we'll be back next week. Ed Martin, Pro America Report. Talk to you next week. On The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.